Etchings, a Ferrochrome podcast. Ghostwriting to Bally. If one were to try to describe her, it would not be easy. She was not simple or uneducated. She was different and original. She would toss her head back and her beautiful black mane caught one's attention before the rest of her mesmerized you. She was not slim, but round and firm. Her skin was like a gleaming brown topaz. And she would grin at you as if she held many secrets. Perhaps the secret of your very own happiness. A trick she could conjure to completely transform your life. Her name was Dea, and her father was of African and East Indian descent. Her mother was wild and white and lived in Bali, in the town of Jalan Monkey Forest. She had not seen her father since she was ten and did not much care. She had lived for several years down the hall from me with her young son, Kai. But motherhood had proven too exhausting, so Kai went to live in the suburbs with his father. I loved watching Dea rushing down the hall, always carrying a Starbucks and a cigarette, which she was dying to light as soon as she got inside her apartment. She would try to find her keys and cash would spill carelessly from her pockets, along with bits of fairy dust. Earlier this year, she had taken a notion to paint her apartment a womb-like dusty pigeon's blood and furnish it in Balinese and Thai artifacts. She had an oversized black leather sofa, gifted by one of the boyfriends, which she lovingly lounged on, smoked, and planned her escape. I was only in Dea's place a few times, and as our friendship grew, her plans for escape took hold of me as did the very essence of her life and ways. I became drawn to her and began living vicariously through her ongoing dreams. She came to know me intermittently over time as I lived a few doors away at the end of the hall in my rather austere and responsible setting, my ways being very different from hers. We were over 20 years apart in age, and I suppose on reflecting, I was a sort of surrogate mother to her, but one who had in earlier times enjoyed the wild obsessions of love and life with the same intensity and joie de vie she now possessed. Dea nurtured her dramas as intensely as a mother her child. No wonder she decided to let the father raise her son. She had far too much living to do to bother with those ordinary everyday arrangements. All the details of meals, grocery shopping, and clothing and emotional sucker were for women who, quite frankly, had far less need for life's adventures. After all, she had had Kai at 18 and given the first 12 blessed years of the boy's life her best shot. But it hadn't worked out. Kai had become too much for her, and so he visited every second weekend and followed her over to Starbucks with his puffy, questioning brown eyes. Sometimes I heard terrible yelling as I passed her door, and was somewhat relieved to find they had decided to part company on an everyday basis and 
visit bi-monthly. Dea intrigued me mainly by her utter and extreme lack of convention. She was not eccentric exactly, but she lived her life as she pleased, and I felt quite honored to have become an intense part of it for the short but almost constant time we spent together before she left for Bali. As it turned out, my home became a safe haven for Dea and her dreams. She discovered on one of her earlier visits that I was a sincere seeker of truth, or to be more exact, a person needing solace in this difficult world myself, and had found a great deal of comfort in the I Ching, a Chinese philosophy in which the oracle is consulted by the tossing of three coins. I have a young son, John, who is 10, but being 53, my wild oats had more than been sown, and after having lived a very wild life myself, single motherhood was somehow a sanctuary of safety and peace. I did not have time for my former escapades, having finally tried to put them to rest, to try and raise my only child the best I could. The toxic combination of complex romances and motherhood was unsavory to me however much I longed to have a strong love in my life. I was ever the nurturer, both with my former lovers and of course my child, and the dreams of a healthy family life never really left me. Somehow I had become 53, it seemed, overnight. So the introduction of Dea into my life was a welcome and entertaining diversion. She had just turned 30 and longed to change her life, and leave the mundane everyday existence of Maple Creek Housing Co-op far behind her. She would appear at my door at any time of day or night with her uniquely familiar knock, which I became so fond of. I would run down the long hallway to the door so as not to wake my son, and she would come in smelling of smoke, clutching a Starbucks, kick off her platform sandals, and plunk herself down at the bottom of my double bed. Usually John was asleep at these times, so we would have to whisper. We chattered away incessantly, trying to cram all of our secrets into a jar before the lid would be shut tight. We would exchange all our secrets of the day, laughing quietly, and I would bring sandwiches and plates of fruit and cheese to her, as she was not concerned about when or what she ate. Her existence was one of, to me, complete careless abandon. I could not imagine living without a kitchen full of nutritious food and would become almost panicky if my food supplies appeared to be dwindling. Dea's fridge was mostly bare with moldy fruits and containers of fast food dying slowly on her counters. Full ashtrays and piles of clothes were everywhere. A lifestyle I loved to visit but had sadly left behind. My world consisted of details and order and responsibility and, when I would allow, delicious daydreams of a different life. To me, day I had it all. Youth, beauty and a lust for life and the desire and drive to live her truth and suffer the consequences. She was in the process of selling all her belongings and moving to Bali to manage her mother's clothing business. 
Although she had a stormy relationship with her mother, she was to live in her own suite at the top of her mother's house in Jalan Monkey Forest and run the clothing store. She would be given free reign also to try her hand at designing. The store in Jalan Monkey Forest was called Dea, so it was fitting that at 30 she should take the plunge and follow this unknown and unpredictable road. On one of her previous holidays to Bali to visit her mother, she had become acquainted with a wealthy restaurateur named Arturo. After four romantic dinners, which ended back in his bed, Dea felt he was the love of her life. You meet the Lord of your heart, the I Ching told her. Arturo spoke English badly, or should I say he wrote English poorly. I know this as I read all his letters to Dea and could see his struggle to express himself in English, Italian being his mother tongue. Arturo was to me a scary proposition. A millionaire businessman of 50, with many friends and acquaintances in Italy, Cuba and Bali. Dea spoke of him with the highest regard and with her uncanny sixth sense about people in general. I truly believed it might work out, provided he changed some of the more questionable aspects of his world. But could someone of 50 really change, I wondered? Shortly before she was to leave for Bali, Dea decided to try to lose 10 pounds. She started an obsessive regime on her exercise bike, one of the few remaining furnishings left in her apartment. She would eat her Starbucks food, have a few cigarettes, and time herself for one hour. Pedaling hard into the night during one of her many bouts with insomnia, her leg crashed down onto the pedal and split her shin wide open. After hours in the emergency ward, she emerged with several stitches, a nasty scar, and a reason to postpone her trip to Bali. She had a ticket for November 10th, but changed it to the 26th. Perhaps the gods were watching over Dea on those wet, grey November days. For the terrorist bombing of the Balinese nightclub was on November 12th. And knowing Dea, she and Arturo would probably have been in or around the vicinity of the attack. As it turned out, one of Arturo's restaurants was badly damaged, and he had to create an alternate agenda for the upcoming year. But I'm getting ahead of myself. One of the reasons for Dea's frequent visits to my apartment was to use my computer to check for letters from Arturo. She would read me these secret, sacred mementos, and one night she shyly asked if I might help her to compose some return answers. Well, I am not a writer, but I do have a vivid imagination and I'm an excellent speller, so between us we decided to give it a try. Dea would write her love notes to Arturo, and then after John was asleep, we would curl up on my comforter and I would edit her sentences and correct her spelling often adding a lyrical and, to my mind, clever, mysterious bit, just to keep him guessing, but attentive. One night I even plagiarized something from an East Indian philosophy book to crown her beauty with curious intelligence. Or so we hoped. These nights had a very magical quality to them, and I knew as we laughed and wrote that I would not see Dea again for a very long time.
She often brought her tarot cards and, like a crimson gypsy, would tell my future in the fading light. One late evening, as she lay back on the pillows, the lamp by the bed caught the many colors of her skin, and I felt I was looking at the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. Her dark eyes held wisdom far beyond her years, and I could not but wonder what future lay ahead of her. I grabbed my camera from the bureau and took many pictures of her, needing somehow to capture this magical, ineffable creature. My God, I had every man's dream woman lying on my bed, and I laughed to myself, thinking of all my single male friends and how they would be cursing me. Dea the babe lying back with her long black hair and blonde hair extensions, wild enough to glamorize the covers of Elle or Vogue. Dea's mother had used huge photos of her to decorate and advertise her clothing business, and apparently it was thriving. There were three factories in Bali and two being built in Cuba. This was certainly a far cry from being a poor single mother in Vancouver. So Dea smoked, drank Starbucks, and wrote emails to Arturo and tried to tie up all her loose ends to move to the other end of the world. I sometimes felt as if I were the one having the affair with Arturo as I continued to write Dea's romantic replies. I helped her pick out the colorful, lightweight clothes that she would take with her. She gave me two expensive coats, one black cashmere, and today I feel very special and a whole lot younger when I wear them. During these days, I would often walk with Dea to Granville Market at the end of our road. These walks were like live theater for me. Men and women both would stare at Dea's brazen sexuality with awe and perhaps a bit of jealousy. It was all so humorous to me that after one of our market trips, I had to lie down and rest. Twice at the market, men followed us, and one fellow desperately thrust his business card into her hand. He was old enough to be her father. On another afternoon, we stopped to talk to Dan, the gorgeous turkey salesman. Dan is a tall, charismatic 28-year-old, kind of a cross between Eminem and James Dean. His dark, piercing eyes gazed at us over the meat counter, and he melted my tired old heart. He was lazily working a toothpick at the side of his mouth, and he asked me if I would have my usual order. He shifted his weight like James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause, and I knew I was doomed. Hey, it's my favorite customer. How's it going? How's it going? Boy, would I love to tell you, I thought to myself. There's no fool like an old fool, I told myself as I brazenly handed him my card and suggested we get together for a drink sometime. He chatted away to me, probably fearful of losing his mind if he glanced in Dea's direction. Better to talk to someone who might remind him of his mother. Dea felt that Dan the turkey man was smitten with me. He must be. He had eyes only for you, and here I am dressed like a hoe, and he completely ignores me. In my dreams, what was I thinking? Perhaps I had been spending too much time with Dea. Dea did finally one Monday morning depart from our Maple Creek housing community, and I quietly went to work. 
I could not bear to say goodbye to my special friend with her deep, heartfelt smile and honest ways. I felt lighter and more alive having known her and hoped that her future dreams with Arturo would bear fruit. I waited over two months before getting my first letter from her and was somehow not surprised to learn that Arturo, her Italian hero, had left Bali with a beautiful young Thai girl to set up yet another restaurant in Milan. Etchings, part of the Faircrumb Podcast Network.